Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. We are so thankful, Lord, that we can bring our prayers and our praises and our concerns to you, that you hear us. We are so thankful, Lord, that we can gather with friends and family, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can spend our moments this morning together. Lord, we desire to honor you in all that we say and all that we do. To listen carefully to hear what you have for us today. And Lord, we ask that you would quiet our hearts. That those outside distractions of things that need to be done or things that didn't get done or things that continue to be in our forefront, Lord, that we would put those aside at this moment. That we would focus our attention in your direction. That, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we hear your voice. We're reminded where we are, who we are, and that we need a Savior. And, Lord, I, even, I pray now for those whose hearts may not be open to that at this moment, that you begin to open hearts. That, Lord... Closed hearts would become open hearts to hear your voice in their life. As we look at your word this morning, may it be powerful because you are a powerful, mighty God. In your name we pray. Amen. I just want to, uh, we talked about Vacation Bible School. I want, I want to reiterate that there is literally a class for everyone. There are two adult classes, uh, one taught by Jim King, one taught by Randy Bartlett this year. And I want to encourage you that um, there's a lot of pieces tied together. I think, I, I, actually, I'm pretty excited about that. Today we're going to talk about what happened right before Noah's Ark. Next Sunday we'll talk what happened at the end of Noah's Ark. And all week we will be talking about Noah's Ark. Um, but the adult classes are, are doing the exact same uh, passages every night. And so I want to encourage you that um, if you've... You could have been coming to this church for a long time and never tried Vacation Bible School. Uh, it's not just for the kids. It's pretty exciting, pretty wound up, a lot of uh, excitement and attention going on. Uh, but I want to encourage you, most of all, that uh, you can come and uh, spend the week sharing with, uh, with others about where God is in, in, uh, in your life. I want to encourage you that on Tuesday night, afterwards, there'll be a gathering in the gym also, on Thursday night afterwards, there'll be a gathering in the gym, um, and that gathering is a chance for church, you guys, us guys, uh, folks to meet um, some people who aren't churched. Um, and so I want to encourage you, I don't, there, there's food, I don't know what it is, uh, if you want to know, you'll have to show, I guess. Um, also, <laughs> I, all I can tell you is that I know Jody's making it, so you'll be all right. She probably won't starve to death. Um, but Wednesday night before VBS, there's dinner together, and Friday night there's a picnic. And I, I tell you all that stuff because I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it because it's a shame if you miss it all this week and come back next Sunday. The other thing that you may have noticed is there's no props today. Um, there's always a prop. There's always something. Um, this year, the props will be a little bit different. The props will be built uh, as the week goes. So you'll have to come every night if you want to see how, the, how it progresses. Uh, that's pretty cool. Kind of excited about that. 
And all I know is the vision was, it was pretty big, so it should be exciting. Let's read the scripture from chapter uh, 6 of Genesis. It says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, and their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and so also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans, they had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. May God add his blessing as we continue to sing this. Lord God, we come to you this morning. May we quiet our hearts at this moment. May we hear your word. Understand who you are. Understand why you do the things you do. And Lord, most importantly, may we hear where you would have us to change. Where we would obey where we maybe haven't obeyed before where we would hear maybe where we haven't heard your voice before. Open us up. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Dun, 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 dun. There it goes, Lou. Got to admit, that's good stuff right there. So, this week is all about Noah. And I guess probably we should start where, I think it's one of, got to be one of, if not the, one of the more famous um, Bible stories that we have heard. Uh, one of the more famous stories that we have pictures and books and everyone knows. So, so tell me a couple details about Noah and his ark, big. big, very big, right? I mean, it, this is such a big story that in Kentucky they build a replica. In fact, I, I, one of my buddies on, soft, on the softball team was going down there to check it out. Uh, and somebody was here. Mike, was, Mike went last year. And there was a, it's big. Mike says it's big. <laughs> now remember, Mike's, Mike's got involved in building the ark we have, so what does that tell you? It's big. <laughs> You'll have to come and see. What else do we know about the ark? What else do we know about this story? It's a salvation story. What? Mike. It's a, it's a story about animals. 
Yeah, you ruined it for us, Mike. <laughs> it's a story about, come on, pairs of animals, right? You know how many movies have been uh, made about Noah's Ark? Good, bad, or indifferent. I just watched Evan Almighty. I don't <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> I was looking for some clips. This is a story that we know, right? And it's a story we tell our kids, and it's about a boat and how God puts two of every animal, and he takes Noah and his um, three kids and his wife. He has family, but I wanted to count them out. I think there's eight. I wanted to say eight, but I, wanted to, I think there's eight of them that got spared. But it is. It's a story about salvation, right? They, God saves Noah. And in verse 8, that's like the most powerful moment in this passage, right? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is a great story. Did you read the passage right before that? Did you hear that verse right before that? God regretted that he had created humankind. Did you hear that? Not a part of the Noah's Ark story we hear very often. Not a part of the Noah's Ark story we talk about very often. Mostly because that's us, right? <laughs> we are the humankind. It says, God regretted that he had made them. This story is about taking out the whole earth in a flood. What do you think it takes for our grace-filled God to regret what he has done? Sin, yeah. Specifically, what do you think it takes for our grace-filled God to regret that he created this earth the way he did? That's heavy. You see what else he did in this passage? He says, I've had enough with humans. I can only tolerate them 120 years. <laughs> so I'm going to set an age limit on them. Does anybody know how the oldest person to ever live uh, after this moment? Obviously, in Scripture, there's some... Was it, was it? Yeah, I mean, after that. I mean, I'm saying when God says, like... 130? In recent history, 122. Uh, there's a lady from uh, France, uh, actually pro uh, investigated, proven, you know, that kind of thing. Not that the Bible wasn't proven, but you know what I'm saying. I think it's pretty interesting that God says, well, I've had enough of people. I'm only going to let them live 120 years from here on out. <laughs> what does it take for a God, our God, to regret what he did? What bad things can you do or have you done that makes God regret? Or the, the word regret, we have, that's an interesting term in Scripture. And so when we think of regret, we think of um, like it was a mistake, right? We think that God probably, in, in our minds, we say, oh, if he regretted creating the earth with all these people, that means he wishes he wouldn't have done it at all. And I, I want to challenge that idea just a bit because the word regret is not that exactly that. It's more of a, uh, a pity. He felt sorry. He felt remorse. His heart was burdened for all that had happened. 
that was the regret. And I got to think that the regret that God felt at that moment was the regret uh, that his people, those who he had created, had gone wayward. So we're going to look at this passage, and I want to just spend a couple minutes talking about what makes God regret or remorseful. What is it that makes God remorseful? Verse 2 says that humans did or made decisions as they saw fit. The moment we think we know better than God, he feels remorse. When we think we know better than God in our life, he senses remorse. That's what happened to these people. These people began to see, do things, and act, and think as they saw fit. Sound familiar? They did their own thing. Anyone have trouble with that? Yeah, every time we do it. Nobody has to raise their hand. I'll raise my hand. Right? Every time we think we know better than God, we cause him remorse. There's this thing called uh, moral relativism. Have you heard of that? Um, It's this idea that we live in a world today that there is no objective uh, reality. There is no objective truth. There is nothing... A stand, there's no standard to, to which we place our, uh, our life against. There's a good and an evil, and you get to pick where it goes. And where society decides it goes is where it goes. And if you don't think we uh, have that today, then you aren't watching the news very often. There's a lot of morally relative decisions being made. Constant. There's no objective truth. It's subjective to what the group or the society decides is okay. And it's happening on a daily basis as we watch the news day after day after day. And I'll give you one example, abortion. Because Scripture says, thou shalt not kill. And... The world says, we'll do whatever we want with that. Maybe you've never heard of, uh, have you ever heard of the, word, the game Lifeboat? No? All right, so I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this game. It's an interesting little game. This is a, it's a game that, uh, that's played in college a lot. Uh, I played, I've seen it in high school even. Here's the idea. We're all on a lifeboat. Um, me and my 14 friends. We're on a boat, and it's about to sink. And we can only save so many of the people. So we can only save eight out of the 14 people on this boat. So we have a, we have a boat, and all we, we have a lifeboat, and we can only put eight people on this 14. But we have 14 people to choose from. And so it goes down through this list. We have on our boat, and, this, and what the idea is to get people to think and to choose and to try to figure out what's morally right, what's morally wrong. How do we make a decision who gets to live? Who gets to die? Right? It's a nice little game about um, how we pick and choose who lives and who dies. So we got Billy on our boat. He's a Billy's 16 years old. He's been on probation. He stole some money from some old ladies, but he's friendly, charming, and helpful. 
but he can't be trusted. And then we got Tom. He's 41, a hero from the Gulf Wars, military guy, but he hears voices when he isn't medicated. We got Cindy. Cindy's 70 years old, retired school teacher, so she's got an education. That's good. Four adult children, 15 grandchildren. She's an expert chef and a homemaker, but she's a smoker. And she was just tested for lung cancer. You kind of get the idea, right? We got Fred. Fred's 40 years old, husband and father of four, expert in yachting. That tells us he probably could get us the boat to safety, right? He's in good health, but he's very opinionated. And that's not all. He left his sick wife and his children, and he doesn't plan ever on ever seeing them again. Do you get the idea? There's 14 people, and they all have qualities that are good, and they all have qualities that aren't so good. And the, the goal of the game, the game, is to try to figure out the best good for the group. The reality is, right, none of them are all good. And then we have to put myself in there, right? Um, if I'm playing the game the right way, I have to add me. So I add me, and I obviously would want to save me, right? Because that's my... That's true. The problem is that I am trying to make those decisions. And I'm not letting God make those decisions. See, there's a scripture in, uh, in Proverbs 14, and it says, There is a way that seems right to man, and it ends in the way of death. You want God to feel remorse? Try doing life on your own. Say you love him. Say you want to follow him. Say you'll do whatever he asks and then do it on your own. You know what else he feels remorse for? When we do things opposite of his leading. When he's leading us in a direction and we do the opposite thing. We know God is calling us to something, or God is calling us somewhere, or God is leading us in a direction, and we choose to go the other direction. We know full well what Scripture says, and we choose to go a different way. The Scripture talks about the Nephilim. These were giants. Uh, Chuck uh, Smith, I don't know if you know who Chuck Smith is. He's an evangelist out of California. Chuck Smith says that he believes, and I, and I, I, don't, I, I'm, I guess I'm okay with this. It I challenges me. He believes that there was genetic altering going on at that time, that they were building, they were trying to build bigger and bigger and bigger giants, people to protect them, armies of these major, huge people. There are some who believe that they were uh, having, uh, marrying uh, angels. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, intricacies there. But here's the key to it, right? They were doing as they saw fit. They did what they wanted to do in spite of doing what God wanted them to do. They were marrying people who they chose. You have to read between the lines a little bit of that. They were marrying people who were not of their faith. They were marrying people uh, because they were, it says they were beautiful, right? So they found these beautiful women. They married them, not because of 
of who they were, who their background was, or what their faith was. They married them because of the way they looked. And these people continued to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply, one after the other. And I'll remind you that not very long before this, God had created for Adam Eve, a representation of the love that he has for us. An idea that marriage was a sacred thing. Marriage was something to be protected. And it was God's um, reflection of his love for us. That when we married someone, that would somehow, in some ways, reflect the love that he has for us. And these people continued to make a mess of it. And God felt remorse. He felt remorse that they would go about and do their own thing. Does it sound familiar today? That God's people, that people are doing their own thing? That people marry whomever and whatever or wherever or whenever they want. Not of the same faiths, all those pieces, parts. Do you know this guy? This is a, this is a cool picture. I wanted to share this picture because I thought it was really cool. It's actually in Israel on the, on the ocean. Remember the guy, Jonah? He got a nice little book written for him, right? You know why? We know this is another fishy story, right? This is a story... This is a story about a, a guy in a boat, <laughs> but he got booted from the boat, right? He got booted from the boat, picked up by a big fish. Do you know why? Yeah, but what, you know why he got booted? He wasn't listening, exactly, just like us as kids, right? Or as adults. He wasn't listening. God said, listen, I want you to go. I want you, as my prophet, to go to the Ninevites and share me with them. And what does Jonah do? Oh, yeah, you want me to go that way? Okay, I'm going that way. Right? I'm going to go a different direction, God, because I think I know better. You know what Jonah said? I don't even like those people. I don't like them so much that I have a better plan than you have, and I'll go in a different direction. I'm going to take them that. I'm going to go that way because I want you to take them out. One of the funny parts of that passage is that there's a, this tree grows up and then for shade for Jonah and then a worm eats it. <laughs> and it tips over. And then he doesn't have any shade anymore. I think that's hilarious. I think that's, that's the humor of God. <laughs> He's like, eh, I'll take it. I'll show you. God feels remorse when we know that we have a direction to go and we choose not to go in that direction. Or we decide on our own that that direction is not the one we want to go. We're going to make our own way. We're going to make a path through the, bri the briars and the brambles and the, the shrubs and the we'll be all chewed up rather than go the path that God has Put in front of us. 
God experiences remorse in those moments. You know when else he experiences remorse? When we don't acknowledge our sinfulness. When we don't acknowledge that we are humans that have sin. These people that lived in Noah's day were a perfect example of what humans look like without God. They continued to digress and digress and digress. And each step they took was another step away from God. And that's what sin does in our life. It continues to move us away from God, away from God, away from God, away from God, away from God. One step after another step after another step. That's what happens in our sin nature. We continue to move further and further and further away from God. This whole earth at that time, except for eight people, was full of sin and chose not to follow God. When we don't acknowledge who we are as sinners, we choose to not follow God. You may remember the story about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's about uh, 12 chapters later. Chapter Genesis 18 and 19 is the is where it's at. There's a story that uh, about this city called Sodom and Gomorrah. Two cities there, and there's a lot of things going on, a lot of bad things going on. And Abraham talks to God and he says, "Listen, God." I'll, I'll make a deal with you. If there's 50 people that are righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare it? And there's this discussion of God and Abraham. And they're going back and forth. And God says, okay, if there's 50 righteous people, if I go there and there's 50 righteous people, I'll spare that city. And Abraham says, let me be a little more bold. If there's 45 people, will you spare it? God says, okay, I'll... I'll spare it if there's 45. Well, how about 40? Abraham says. How about 40? If, what if we have 40? What if there are 40 righteous people in that city? Will you spare it if there are 40 righteous people? He goes to 30. And God says, okay, I'll spare it if there are 30 righteous people in that city. How about 20? How about 20? Abraham says. Will you spare it if there are 20? He says, Okay, I'll spare it if there are 20. Then Abraham says, let me be so bold to ask one more time, will you spare it if there are 10 righteous people in that city? And God says, I'll tell you what, I'll spare it if there are 10 righteous people in that city. There were four righteous people in that city. Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. And God did what he had to do. He destroyed that city. Because evil ruled in the heart of the people that lived there. The story talks about God sending two angels to that city as visitors. And the people of that city came and said, let us have those visitors. We want to have our way with them. And Lot said, no, they're my, they're my guests, and 
I won't allow that to happen. They tried to get in and, and to get to those angels, which they didn't know they were angels. They looked like they were visitors. Evil ruled the heart of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Evil ruled the heart of the people in Noah's day. Evil rules our heart when we don't put God first today. If you haven't made that commitment to follow after Christ, evil is ruling your heart. It's just that simple. Scripture says in, in Jeremiah that our heart is deceitful above all things. That's not what we hear in the world today. We hear this idea that there's a scale, right? And if I can do enough good to, to lift the scale, if I can do a little more, 51% of good, that will lift the 49% of bad that I have in my heart. And I'll be able to deal with that, and I'll be able to fix it. Now, I'm no scientist, and I don't uh, claim to understand, but there's this thought process called entropy, and it's, it's this that nature tends to move towards disorder. I don't understand all there is to... There's, uh, you want to... Actually, it's the second law of thermodynamics. It is. Exactly. If you want to know more, you can ask Ken after church. <laughs> We've talked to you. The idea is this. Things don't improve or get better on their own. They continue to lose good and come into more of a state of disorder, of less, of worse. And in our sin nature, we continue to get worse and worse and worse. I found this, uh, I found this quote, and I really like it. It says, however, how corrupt our hearts are and however wicked our past lives, there is hope for us in the gospel. Right, That last verse in this passage reminds me, but God saw that Noah was still good and doing things that God wanted him to do. You may remember this passage. I don't know why I got cut off, but uh, Psalm 51, it says, Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We sing that song a lot of times uh, for communion. That's, uh, that's David sharing uh, with God his care and concern over doing things wrong. Uh, scripture says that that was right after Bathsheba when Nathan reminded him what had happened. He understood that he was not good on his own. That he needed a Savior to spare his life. And we need a Savior to spare our life. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning and we are thankful for your son Jesus who died on the cross. We are thankful, Lord, that the relationship we can have with you is a relationship that continues to improve and sanctify our lives. Lord, there is no doubt that we have grieved you when we fail to think the way you think. That we grieve you, Lord, when we act in a way other than you would have us act. And Lord, in our sinful nature, you, you weren't even able to, to look at us. You turned your back. And, but by the blood of Jesus, that we might be spared from that, from what we deserved. 
Lord, we are a broken, hurting, injured people. We need your love. We need to be reminded that you do save us. That, Lord, just like Noah got a boat, you have given us a new life. And a new life in you. What a blessing that is. In your name we pray. Amen.